Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's www.outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, France 24, NHK Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. As the United Nations Security Council urged Israel and Palestine to roll back the current level of violence, a DW reporter spoke with people on both sides of the conflict. A study has found that the world's forests are still disappearing at an increasing rate. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The UN Security Council has urged Israel and the Palestinians to avoid actions that could further inflame tension in the occupied West Bank. There is growing international concern about escalating violence. That's been some of the deadliest in the region that it has seen in years. DW correspondent Rebecca Ritters went to the West Bank to talk to people on both sides of this conflict. It was supposed to be what the Israeli military calls a routine operation. Soldiers raided Janine refugee camp to arrest suspected militants, but they were met with unexpected resistance. Violence in the Israeli-occupied West Bank is taking on a new and worrying form. This is the spot where a large roadside bomb was detonated, damaging an Israeli vehicle as it was retreating from Janine camp and injuring several soldiers. It's the first attack of its kind in several years, and as a result, the Israeli military say they may have to rethink their tactics. As ever, it's civilians like Ghassan Turkman and his family who get caught up in the escalation. Sadil came down from the stairs and came here. During that raid, his teenage daughter was in their courtyard when an Israeli military vehicle drove by. She was uploading this video to Snapchat when the bullet came. Sadil was standing like this, she was filming like this, and then the bullet hit her here. The Israeli military says it's investigating. Her family are convinced she was killed by Israeli gunfire. Elsewhere in the occupied West Bank, there was more violence. The Palestinian militant group Hamas says they carried out this attack in response to the raid in Jenin. Two of their gunmen opened fire at this roadside restaurant near the Jewish settlement of Eli, killing four Israeli citizens. The attackers came from there. One came here and the other one went over there. He was first to be hit. The girl he was with managed to run away, thanks to God. Then the terrorist entered and fired inside. Another one of our students was hit in the leg by shrapnel. Despite the attacks and the risk to their lives, these settlers say they aren't going anywhere. Um, but as you can see here on the top of the mountains, 
Um, this is one of the ancient place that uh, was mentioned in the Bible. In fact, they're intent on expansion. We're not afraid. Uh, we know that this is our homeland, this is our home. And you fight for your home. And we'll do whatever is needed to stay here, to build, to grow, to add more life, to add more green to those bare mountains. After the restaurant shooting, the government showed its continuing support for the settlers. A day after the attack here in Ely, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu announced the authorisation of a thousand new housing units here in the settlement. A decision he said in his statement was a direct response to terrorism. Another response was this. Mobs of extreme settlers rampaged through Palestinian towns, torching property and threatening residents, sometimes in the presence of Israeli soldiers. It's a further escalation in a cycle of violence that looks to be accelerating. Back in Janine camp, these Palestinian fighters tell me the situation is getting worse. They are trying to kill everybody if they can. All over the camp, they've been erecting these canopies, an attempt to blind Israeli surveillance drones, while they bide their time and prepare for battle. We're going to fight as long as we can stand. That's what's going to happen. They are using rockets, they're using planes, they're using what, all, all their army. But we, we don't stop. We are going to continue as long as we can stand. If not us, our children, their children, we will continue. That's the feeling on both sides. This was caused by an Israeli drone targeting militants the first aerial attack against Palestinians in the West Bank in a generation. The next chapter in this bloody conflict is being written here and now. And that was DW's Rebecca Ritter's reporting there. Tropical rainforests play a vital role in containing global warming, but a study has found that the world's forests are still disappearing at an alarming rate, despite international pledges to halt and reverse deforestation. Almost half of the loss is happening in Brazil. Its new president set a goal of ending deforestation. The question being, can he achieve this ambitious goal? This patch of land may not look very tropical, but it's actually part of the world's largest rainforest. Scenes like these have become more and more common in the Brazilian Amazon. Millions of hectares raised down illegally to make space for cattle pastures and soy fields, among other things. Almost half of the tropical primary forest lost last year was in Brazil. That's according to a new study by the World Resources Institute, a global research organization. The report found that on a global level, rainforests lost an area roughly the size of Switzerland in 2022. That's 10% more than the year before. And it means we're rapidly giving up on one of our best tools to combat climate change, because tropical forests absorb massive amounts of CO2. In Brazil, environmental experts blame the last four years of soaring deforestation on former President Jair Bolsonaro. His administration weakened the agency's monitoring environmental crimes by shrinking their budgets and pushing out staff. During the last four years, Amazon was a place without law. But Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who took office this year, wants to end illegal deforestation in the Amazon by 2030. And he has a good track record. When he was president 20 years ago, his government reduced deforestation in this rainforest by 80%. It expanded protected areas. 
and strengthened authorities to crack down on these spots. Now Lula's administration has further developed its action plan. The aim of the plan is to relentlessly combat crimes such as illegal occupation of public lands, mining, logging, illegal hunting and fishing in indigenous territories, and to give environmental protection areas to the Amazon as a whole. But challenges remain, not least a powerful agribusiness bloc in Congress that could hold back new environmental laws. I find it very hard to really reach that zero illegal deforestation in seven years. But on the other hand, it's important to set ambitious goals. And people around the world will feel the climatic consequences if these goals aren't met. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. It's also available at most podcast sites. Next, France 24. France is experiencing riots across the country and protest of a policeman killing a 17-year-old for a driving infraction. France 24. Violent protests are continuing early Thursday morning across cities in France after the police shooting to death of a teenager on Tuesday. It's all over the front French pages and, you could, as you can imagine, Dipti's here to take a look at it for us, Dipti. Yeah, that's right. 17-year-old Nael was uh, pulled over by police on Tuesday morning for a, tra a traffic infraction when he was shot and killed at point-blank range in Nanterre, a suburb a suburb just outside of Paris. It is dominating the French papers and the European papers as well today. This is L'Humanité, the French communist paper, which says on its front page that it was one death too many, uh, saying also that many are now calling for an overhaul of France's public security laws, the paper calling Nahel's death, quote, inexcusable in its editorial today. The paper does offer some sympathy for how tough police jobs have become, but really laments this uh, the, the, the fact that relations between the public and police are once again at an all-time low. Uh, Liberation has far less sympathy for the police. They say the police have completely gone adrift on its front page, the left-wing paper saying that uh, are really blaming poor training, but also serious shortcomings in an institution that is untouchable in France. Uh, now, from other papers, you have La Croix here, which also questions police methods, notably interrogation methods, but also training of police. Uh, the paper uh, saying that this, uh, particularly in particular, Niall's death raises questions about police training. Elsewhere in Europe, as I mentioned, it is also making front pages. This is on the front of Correa de la Sera. It's making front pages here uh, on that Italian paper, uh, which echoes comments made by Emmanuel Macron, but also Kylian Mbappe, uh, who expressed his support for Nahel. Now, across the border in uh, Switzerland, there's a really interesting editorial from Le Tribune de Genève, where they, uh, where, uh, they, they talk about um, what they call a blocked debate between two opposing sides. Uh, you have those who defend the police and those who defend uh, the young victim. Now, those who defend the police, the paper says, should not forget that in all probability, had the shooting not been captured on video, the police officer, uh, the police officer would have been protected by his lies. 
and reminds us that since 2017 laws, police do shoot more and kill more in France. On the other hand, the paper also reminds us, reminds those who defend the young victim that had he not been driving without a, uh, without a, uh, a driver's license and had he stopped at that police check, he would be alive today. So the paper really playing devil's advocate today. That press review is from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and most major podcast sites. On to NHK World Radio Japan. U.S. Treasury Secretary Yellen plans to travel to China next month. As the release of radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear reactors into the Pacific Ocean is imminent, final safety checks are underway. India has sent a warship to Vietnam as a gift. NHK Japan Bloomberg is reporting U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen plans to travel to Beijing next month a visit that could signal a further though in relations between the world's top two economic powers. Yellen is expected to hold high-level talks with her Chinese counterpart in early July, Bloomberg reported Monday, citing sources. Although the news outlet said the visit has not yet been confirmed. There have been a number of economic tension points between the two countries. The U.S. government under President Joe Biden has restricted exports to China of semiconductors and other products that could have been, that could be used for military applications. But the White House has stressed that it wants to continue to engage with China, both economically and in other areas. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited China earlier this month where he met with President Xi Jinping and top Chinese diplomats. Afterwards, both sides said they would continue to hold talks aimed at stabilizing relations. That relationship hit a bump last week when Biden called Xi a dictator during a speech at an election campaign event. China called that political provocation. Turning now to Japan's plan to release treated and diluted water from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant into the ocean. The country's nuclear regulators have begun their final safety checks of the newly completed system. Four officials started the inspection Wednesday, shortly after the plant's operator, Tokyo Electric Power Company, finished constructing the system. They're checking for leaks and any other abnormalities. They'll also inspect the emergency shutoff valves and the pumps that'll be drawing up large amounts of seawater. The head of the regulator called on the power company to make sure the system works properly. I don't think releasing the water will affect people's lives or the environment from a scientific and technical perspective. But we need to closely watch for any abnormalities that may occur. The regulators say they expect to complete the inspection this week and compile a final report shortly after. Water used to cool molten nuclear fuel has been building up in storage tanks at the plant. It's been filtered to remove most of the radioactive material, but it still contains tritium. The government plans to release the water after it's been diluted to well within Japan's safety limits. 
Officials say it'll even clear the World Health Organization's suggested levels for drinking water. On top of all this, Japan's government has asked the International Atomic Energy Agency to review the plan. The UN body's task force, which includes experts from South Korea and China, is expected to issue their report in early July. Prime Minister Kishida Fumio is expected to make a final decision about the water release within weeks of taking a close look at the reports. India has sent a naval warship to Vietnam as a gift, the first time it's giving such a vessel to any country. It comes as the two sides have strengthened security ties in recent years. The INS Kirpan left the eastern port city of Vishakapatnam on Wednesday. The domestically built warship is fitted with surface-to-surface missiles and is equipped for coastal security and anti-piracy operations, among other roles. India's Navy says the transfer of the ship reflects the nation's commitment to assist like-minded partners. The gift was announced earlier this month when the defense chiefs of the two countries met in New Delhi. India considers Vietnam a key partner in its Act East policy that seeks to bolster security relations with Southeast Asia. Both countries have expressed concerns about China's increasing aggression in the South China Sea and near India. Last year, they agreed to expand the scale and scope of their defense cooperation and simplify measures for mutual logistical support. Those reports are from NHK World Radio Japan. They are heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. The Indian government took great offense at former U.S. President Obama questioning human rights in India. Then a viewpoint on the summit for a new global financing pact held in Paris this week. Radio Havana, Cuba. Indian authorities on Tuesday rejected former President Barack Obama's questioning of human rights in that Asian country and recalled the record of the United States as a violator of these universal guarantees. Defense Minister Rajnath Singh criticized Obama's views on the treatment of Indian minorities in an interview during Prime Minister Narendra Modi's visit to the northern country. He recalled that during his tenure, many Muslim-majority countries were attacked by the United States. He noted that India considers all nations as one big family. The day before, Union Finance Minister Nirmala Sita Raman referred to the inappropriateness of former U.S. President's statements and accused him of being part of the opposition attacks against Prime Minister Modi. He also highlighted the lack of credibility of Obama's criteria, since during his administration he authorized the bombing of six Muslim-majority nations with more than 26,000 bombs. Syria, Yemen, Saudi Arabia and Iraq were attacked. The official question, how can people trust his accusations? The summit for a new global financial pact evidenced international recognition of the existence of a serious crisis, multiple or with a cascade effect, as the UN puts it, so it is urgent to address the needs of the impoverished South constantly troubled by the situation. 
The meeting was held in Paris at the initiative of Emmanuel Macron, and it was the French president who described the meeting as a decisive moment in the attempts to build a new consensus for the planet. According to the French president, the Paris meeting, attended by heads of state, personalities, and executives of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, issued a document with a shared political vision on the design of a path towards a profound reform of the international financial architecture and governance. Macron believes it is possible to be hopeful since the participating countries promised to reach the goal of $100 billion for the financing of programs aimed at reducing climate change effects. To this specific figure were added the goals made at the meeting to transform the current international financial order into a fairer and more supportive system. An order that, as Angelo Guterres points out, is obsolete, dysfunctional and unjust does not respond to a multipolar world. The UN Secretary General is right, since, as underlined by President Miguel Díaz-Canel, who attended the conference as Cuba is the pro tempore presidency of the group of 77 plus China, developing nations are facing an extreme situation. That area of the world doubled its sporting debt in the last decade and had to allocate almost $380 billion of its reserves to defend its currencies. In this context of claims, the proposal of the President of Colombia, Gustavo Petro, on the need to move forward in the exchange of public debt for climate action gained a broad perspective. The initiative, supported by Macron and other participants, could be taken to the United Nations Conference on the Environment, COP28. In this apparent consensus, the Summit for New Global Finance Pact seemed to have taken steps towards shaving a new contract between the North and the South to address the urgencies linked to climate change and development in a troubled global context. That report and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but there's no podcast. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Boonville, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. George spoke with retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor about why the Wagner military forces headed to Moscow. Western media universally reported it as an attempted coup to force regime change. George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. Colonel Douglas McGregor joins us now. Well, let's start with the overview, if uh, we can. 
What do you think happened in Russia over the last 36 hours? Well, I wouldn't call it a coup. Uh, I think what happened is that Mr. Prigozhin, who, as you know, is a well-known blowhard and has frequently said outrageous things, reached a conclusion that I think a lot of people in the senior ranks of the Russian army have reached, and that is two things. First, that this war has dragged on too long, and they want Putin to take decisive action to end it. And then secondly, uh, I, I think the uh, fear is that the United States will be tempted to intervene in Western Ukraine with its Polish allies and others potentially if this does not come to an end. And so Prigozhin staged this. He went down to Rostov to the theater command center. He stayed there. There was no violence, but then he dispatched 4,000 troops to go toward Moscow. 30,000 troops in the Moscow garrison were mobilized and prepared to fight. And ultimately, Russian aircraft and attack helicopters were used against the 4,000 troops that Prigozhin had sent toward Moscow. So at least in Moscow, people took this very seriously. As soon as there was any indication of fighting and that anyone could be killed, Prigozhin immediately called a halt to it. Lukashenko, who has known Mr. Prigozhin for 20 years at least and is a close friend of his, spoke with Putin, who gave him permission to talk directly to Prigozhin. And the outcome was, as you say, Prigozhin leaves and goes to Belarusia. Uh, there will be no charges against him. And one of the reasons for that is that both the Wagner Group and Prigozhin are very popular with the Russian people. They see him as the kind of aggressive leader that they want on the battlefield in this war with Ukraine. So I think what we have now to expect is a very powerful offensive will be leashed, unleashed, that is, against the Ukrainians. And then secondly, I think you're going to see some changes at the top of the Russian command structure. I would expect General Sorovikin in particular to rise as a result of this. But like you, I see no evidence, frankly, that uh, Mr. Prigozhin was made an agent by MI6 or the CIA or anybody else. Anybody who knows the Russians knows that any senior officer or commander or leader is surrounded by numerous FSB informants. The idea that he could have sold out even if he'd wanted to seems ludicrous. As far as we can tell, none of them thought that they were marching on Moscow to remove Putin. On the contrary, they saw themselves as going to Moscow to rescue Putin from what uh, was widely considered bad advisors, bad counselors, who have held up the Russian offensive and caused this war to drag out beyond the point of reason. It's it's over. The wa people in Washington know the Ukrainians are finished. They know they can't replace the losses. The question now is what comes next, and nobody wants to accept publicly the fact that the Russians are in a strategically powerful and dominant position. That's not going to change. But there is still margin for mistakes and error. There's still an opportunity here for someone to push too far, for an opportunity for the U.S. to engage in, a, in an intervention that could widen this war and make it Europe-wide. That's the real danger. We're not prepared for it, by the way. Let's be quite clear on this. We don't have the ammunition. We don't have the forces on the ground. But it's, it's not impossible. And I think that's what drove Prigozhin. I think that's what concerns the senior officers in the Russian army. They want to end it. Thank you, Colonel Douglas McGregor.
That interview is on George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. George is a 30-year former member of the British Parliament whose interviews used to be on Russia Today for many years until they were blocked by the European Union and the U.S. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.